Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 224 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's Monday evening. It's only about 30 or so hours after we record our last episode, but because of the news dictates what happens on this podcast, I am joined for another pseudo-emergency edition of the show, and this time I am joined by the great Eric Cole. Hello, sir. It's an emergency podcast involving Nick Barkakis, Brad. I'm excited. That it is, uh, yeah, that it is, that it is. I mean, it's fu- funny is the wrong word. I think we didn't have to do this show emergency style, but because we just did a podcast yesterday in very on-brand fashion, there is huge news the next morning after we do a podcast, and that dictates that if we were going to do another show this week or something like that, we didn't want to wait till next weekend and have all the takes fired around us. So here we are, and Eric was willing to join me. This evening, by the way, please go back and listen to the last episode. If you did not hear it, it was uh, about an hour of me and Scott, and most of it still holds up other than the Marcakis um, fallout, but uh, that's still available for consumption, so download and, and listen to it. But here we are talking about the uh, the big news of the day, and that is the fact that Marcakis is electing not to play. Um, people are using the opt-out word. I'm also using that in some ways, but Mark Bowman uh correctly points out that it's not an opt-out in the official language of Major League Baseball. It's Marquecas lucky not to play because he'll, he, he will not be paid. This is, a, this is a choice by him. He was not one of the players that was uh, ruled to be uh, at risk or whatever you want to say, at least at, at, at heightened risk. So he's opting out in terms of 
not playing, but he's not going to be paid, none of that stuff. He's going to be joining Felix Hernandez and Eric Young Sr. as members of the organization that are choosing not to uh, proceed with 2020. Before we dive into any other specifics, Eric, um, this is pretty surprising news, and I think even with my own brain like expecting chaos right now in every way, shape, or form, I think you even saw it from the media guys who cover the team and even the player quotes and even Snicker. Um, Marquecas was one of the more surprising names that could have opted out, in my opinion. So uh, was that your reaction as well? Yeah, absolutely. He kind of strikes me as like the guy who maybe should have taken days off when he wasn't, you know, kind of a tough, tough guy, Iron Man type that wants to be in there every day. Didn't I didn't necessarily peg him as someone who's going to be among the first to be extra cautious when it comes to COVID-19 um, and like, you know, whether or not like his involvement in the game as to, you know, regarding his family's safety, it just didn't, he just didn't strike me as such. I didn't have any reason beyond that. And, you know, after that, I start used to, after that initial, wow, like that's the name that's going to opt out first. You know, you start thinking about, you know, what's going to happen with the Braves. And I know that we've been tough on him in the past, not because of like, you know, he's just, like terrible player when we've said as much, cause that's not the case. It's just that, you know, he is kind of made out to be more than he is, but what he is, is really good. Like a really good piece on a good baseball team. Uh, maybe he's not, he shouldn't be your number five hitter every day, but he's the kind of guy that you want on your roster when your team's good. And that you, especially against righties. And, you know, I, once I kind of started thinking about those baseball things and I started thinking about what I thought of Mark Hickis as kind of a player and a person, it kind of really kind of hit home, like how tough of a decision this must have been for him. Uh, I don't blame, I mean, I, I think that a lot of players should be considering opting out because this is like, it's a scary situation. I mean, when, you, when you're seeing guys who are like at the peak of physical fitness and, you know, not all of them are expressing symptoms and not all of them are getting sick, but some of them are getting sick. And, you know, it's it's more than just a cold. It's more than just a flu. And, you know, when you when you see a guy like Marcakis give up something that like if you'd asked me a week ago, he would have been among the guys that I would have thought was the least likely to do it because I think he wants to play until he's 50. And, you know, for him to willingly give up a season of playing baseball really kind of put into focus what this whole situation is and how crazy it is that what these guys are having to put up and deal with and like the, the sheer just. You know, it's 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 borderline insanity in a lot of ways, and you know you, you can it, it starts to realize that maybe we're going to see more guys opt out, and this is going to get this could get a lot weirder before it gets back to normal uh, in terms of baseball and in a lot of other things as well. So, you know, it was kind of like a it was a bit of a whirlwind uh, as I was experiencing it, but you know, overall, I mean, it's kind of I, I look, I mean, between Felix and EY and now Mark Markakis, I, I expect that there's going to be more around the league, certainly, uh, possibly with the Braves as well as this goes on. You know, a lot of these guys have families. They have loved ones, both young and old, that they want to make sure that they keep safe and that they want to spend time with. So, I, you know, it's, you know, it kind of puts a focus on the fact that these are these are human beings that we're asking to go and, you know, put themselves at risk for. It's not the same thing as, you know, some of the risks that some people put their put put on the line every day when they go to work, but it's still a real risk. And for these guys, you know, they have to kind of think about it, and it's tough. For sure, and I think there's a Marquecas quote that I wanted to read that he gave today as part of the press conference where they announced this, and uh, I'm just going to read it to you now. Quote, 
we're not machi- we're not just machines going out there. We're human beings, and the safety is a big concern for me. End quote. Like that kind of puts it in context. And you know, we are we often talk about players and uh, numbers and stats and stuff, and um, try to I, I try to remember that these are people that are out there and they have real concerns. I know they're very rich people a lot of the time, but that does not remove any of their you know it's it, they're still human beings as he as he sort of uh, lays out there. And by the way. I know you feel this way. We talked about this before, but I don't blame anyone for opting out. I mean, we said that on yesterday's show all. with Felix as well. That goes for Marcakis. You know, our our thoughts. I'm sure we are painted as negative on Marcakis overall as baseball people, but I agree with what you said. Um, he actually could have, could and would have been quite useful baseball wise this year. But regardless of any of that, I don't blame him whatsoever for opting out. It's a perfectly reasonable decision, and one that I think as you allude to, other guys are going to make um, across the league. Um, he did say uh, on the record today that he had a conversation with Freddie Freeman, who, of course, has been sick. We discussed that on yesterday's show. Um, but that conversation reportedly opened his eyes in terms of Marcakis for whatever that's worth to you. Um, you know, and that's I could see that possibly happening. You're, you're talking to someone who is, you know, one of your team leaders and one of your presumably good friends on the team it's been on, it's been with you for the last several years and freddie's really sick and you know well whether he'll bounce back or not we we kind of assume he's going to bounce back and be okay pretty soon he's a young healthy guy but the fact that he got that sick seemingly made an impact on Marcakis. um and it's hard to blame him for any of that and you know he's an older guy Marcakis. we talked about him maybe even being pushed into retirement before the season before he signed with the braves that could still happen he's not retiring as of now but he's and he's sort of undecided on next steps but all that to say, like, he's not going to be around. I obviously don't blame him whatsoever for making this choice. He's given up a little bit of money, but I totally get it. And, uh, yeah, in terms of – we'll talk about baseball as we did yesterday and, and eventually just transition into the fallout baseball-wise because that's kind of what we do on the show. But I wanted to make sure we started off with the non-baseball stuff to just say that, you know, I acknowledge that this is a tough decision. He said that. Everybody said that. Snicker certainly uh, sort of referred to him in uh, in glowing terms, as you might imagine. Marquecas is very well liked and always has been in that clubhouse. So this is uh, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, and again, you know, you, you allude to kind of the impact on the clubhouse. You kind of wonder what's those guys that were maybe on the fence with their participation this year, and what they were, you know, what guys were planning on doing. I mean, like we've already heard from guys like Acuna that are very clear. They're, obviously, it's a, a, a strange situation, but they're. You know they're 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 going to give this a, a real try, but maybe these older guys, these bench guys, these guys who, you know, maybe they've already made their money or maybe they're not really giving up much by not playing. You know, you wonder if maybe there's going to be fallouts further down to, down the roster, and you wonder if like you know, and this is again around the league. I mean, it's not like Mick Markakis isn't a guy that isn't pretty well known around the league too. So if that's the case, then you wonder if maybe other players in a similar boat to him will start making the same decision. And it kind of brings into kind of stark contrast, like what we talked about a lot in this podcast is that, you know, if a season doesn't happen, it's going to be because of COVID-19. And, you know, I, I understand completely that the league and the players union got together on an agreement, but that doesn't mean we're home free. No, I mean, there were all, there was all kinds of discussion, not really Braves related today, but across Major League Baseball about testing lags and all kinds of uh, mix-ups around the league. Just to kind of put that again into contrast with what people are hoping is going to happen. You know, there's lots of things that have to happen for baseball to keep going and to happen here, um, and that goes for the entire league, not just the Braves. But you know, and opt-outs are still going to keep happening. I think 
it will not surprise anybody if you know even even if the season starts you might see a guy just leave that wouldn't surprise me um I don't know who I don't I don't know who that's going to be or how prevalent it will be, but in the next couple of weeks for sure. And then uh, you know these guys could opt out at any time. It, that's in play. So and they're real life factors in play here as well. So I don't know. It's a tough one. I uh, was certainly not expecting that. I did a double take when the news came across Twitter this morning. I got to be honest. Um, I'm not sure if I would have had that same reaction with everybody, but Marcakis for some reason just struck me as uh, even more surprising than any other player would be. Um, so there you go on that. Uh, any final thoughts before, before we move into uh, baseball-related fallout here? No, I mean, I think we're good there. You know, it's just, again, it's, it's kind of a, a weird twist to a, a long and winding road with Nick Markekis and the Braves. And honestly, I, I, the biggest thing is I hope that him and his family are safe and happy. And he yep. enjoys his time with his kids. Like, that's the, the, he, he mentioned that multiple times in his presser. And, you know, getting to spend his time with his kids, something he hasn't gotten to do, you know, in a long time. Maybe this will, you know, be really good for him. For sure. I, I definitely want to echo that and uh, salute to him and his family. I hope they, uh, yeah, I hope, I hope everything's good for uh, him and his family throughout this time. That's the best way to put that uh, moving forward. Okay, a transition to baseball discussion. And uh, there is baseball fallout here because Marcakis, while not uh, on the level that some may have <laughs> may, may view him as at all times, was certainly a player that factored considerably into the Braves' plans this year and even more so with the uh, inclusion of the, of the universal DH. So um, replacing him does have some uh, interesting um, ramifications. Uh, I think the biggest domino for me anyway is the fact that he is one of the better hitters on the roster um, in terms of against right-handed pitching. That's something that's been a topic that we've been talking about for multiple years now about how he has his platoon split. He played too often against lefties, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing we kind of know, and I've said this a number of times over the last couple of years, is that his best skill at this present moment in time is hitting right-handed pitching. And uh, even before this news on yesterday's show, because of the Freddie Freeman fallout, et cetera, Scott, talk, Scott and I briefly talked about the fact that the Braves are kind of short on bats against right-handed pitching. And uh, this even magnifies that even more. I won't read all the numbers out right now, but I put a tweet out about this, about just kind of illustrating the career WRC plus is just sort of a catch-all metric of this lineup or all of the lineup options against right-handed pitching. And uh, in short, only three players, three players on the entire uh, projected Braves roster are above average hitters against right-handed pitching. Now that Marquecas is not there. It's Freddie Freeman, it's Ronald Acuna, and it's Marcelo Zuna. Um, you have a couple guys, Ozzy Albies and Ender Inciarte, actually, which is uh, maybe surprising, but not against right-handed pitching. Um, those guys are like league average-ish, Ozzy uh, about there, and obviously has some room to grow beyond that as a really young player. Um, and Ender's about league average, but everybody else at least for their careers to this point, are you know below league average against right-handed pitching. And considering just the reality of Major League Baseball and especially the division, you face a lot more right-handed starting pitchers than left-handed starting pitchers. And uh, to have a lineup that is a little bit heavy on one side and not the other is not ideal. Is it like a flaming problem that you have to get you know panicked about? Probably not. But it's worth pointing out, especially if Freddie was to miss any time or if you had any sort of weirdness with Acuna or Zuna or something like that, the lineup's pretty thin against right-handed pitching right now. Yeah, I think that the it's, this magnifies a potential problem, if that makes yes. any sense. Because the the Braves are already kind of banking on Ozzy Albies and Camar Johan Camargo, both being switch hitters who you know feasibly should perform against pretty well from both sides of the plate. They're kind of banking on those two guys being kind of, you know, platoon proof for all 
for lack of a yeah, better ba- phrase. Basically improving their split, because both those guys have splits that go the other way right now. They're much better against lefties than righties. Well, well Ozzie Albies is borderline Mike Trout against lefties. Correct. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's just be clear about that. Like, Ozzie's like a completely different animal when he's batting right-handed. But, you know, if he continues, and, and he looks great in camp, too, right now. And, you know, looks like he's put on a lot of muscle and... You know, we'll see kind of how all that, all that translates. But he's clearly been working this entire time, you know, to kind of stay in, shelf, stay in shape and get himself right. So, you know, now if those two guys continue to – and again, they're not like crazy terrible uh, against against right-handers, but they're not they, – they've had struggles in the past. Uh, Ozzy's 2018 against righties was particularly terrible uh, towards the, in, that, in that second half. Uh, where he just kind of fell off a cliff against them. But, you know, last year was better than that, and you hope that maybe he takes a, a step forward. The, the problem is is if they don't take that step forward and then you lose one of your better left-handed bats, then you're kind of hoping on Freddie Freeman, who, I mean, no one's really saying it, but it does seem like he's going to miss some time uh, within the regular season. At least he uh, could. Yeah, well, I, I think it's likely. Um, just Just because of, you know, he has to be out for a certain amount of time, then he has to get the negative tests. And then he has to get kind of worked back in again. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying it's a, I'm not going to like pretend like he's going to be gone for like a month or anything because we don't know no. that much information yet. But it seems very likely to me that he could miss time, in which case you're relying on Acuna uh, to really kind of carry the offense based on what we know so far. Now, they're like, there's a lot of talented bats on this roster. And, you know, Ender is better against righties than he is against lefties. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be great against righties either, but, you know, he's going to be at least, you know, pretty good. So does that mean it's a death knell for the offense? I don't think so uh, in terms of losing Mark Hickes' bat, but, you know, it's something that you do miss. And, again, he's not a guy that I'd be batting fifth every day, but, you know, I'd be batting him sixth or seventh, and I'd be perfectly happy about it, particularly against right-handers, because, you know, you feel like he's going to be able to at least drive in some runs here and there and, you know, make some make some productive things happen at the plate, whereas, you know, some of these lineups that we've had with the Braves in the past are like the seven, eight, and nine hitters, which thankfully does not include the pitcher this year you know, have just been like almost automatic outs and you want to lengthen that lineup as much as you can. And when you lose a guy like Marcakis, you know, the lineup is overall worse. They didn't have a guy. They, the reason they, <laughs> the reason they had Marcakis is because they didn't have a guy that could do that. And there's, you know, there's very few options that are now available to them to go and get. And I don't know how many, how, how likely it is that the Braves will be making a move to add payroll right now, considering that we don't even know if the season is going to happen in its entirety. So, you know, it's it's a weird situation. I don't think it's as a, a, a drastic loss, but I do also think that it doesn't. Make, the team is worse since Mark Higgins opted out. You know, barring something unforeseen. Right. That's that's a good way to put it. I don't think that this is like going to be a massive shakeup. At the same time, if if we could if we assume that he would be used um, appropriately, this is not which is not always uh, the case. But you know, Mark Higgins, if you go by history and the numbers that and the way that they've been so far in the recent past he is one of the five or six best hitters on the team against right-handed pitching and not having that guy in your lineup matters like is there a chance that austin riley breaks out uh sure sure there is is there a chance that camargo and albies get a lot better against right-handed pitching sure there is but you know essentially other than ender everyone in the sort of platoon rotation mix in terms of outfielders and third base and DH other than Ender, everybody else is better against left-handed pitching historically. Everybody else is. So taking your other guy out in Marcakis that would have helped you, 
either as a DH against righties or an outfielder against righties or or a pinch hitter against righties, whatever you want to say he was his role was going to be, not having that guy there definitely matters, especially when you just factor in that, you know, the simple reality is they don't have anybody on the roster right now that has a similar profile to Marcakis. Yes, they have they have options. They could have Charlie Culberson. Like that's a natural guy for them to keep in that roster spot. Um, but he is not the same kind of player as Marcakis in terms of just the profile. You have other non-roster guys. Like I don't love either of these options, but both Young Gabriel Salarte and Yonder Alonso are guys with favorable platoon splits that hit righties better than lefties historically. Now, Salarte not great shakes. Alonzo was terrible last year. He used to be pretty good at hitting righties. I'm not sure if that's just gone. Um, but those guys, if you're trying to get to those guys, it's you're kind of squinting and hoping. Um, everybody else that's currently in the mix, presumably, and then we'll we'll get to uh, Drew Waters and Christian Pache in a little bit because people were asking about that, and you're the uh, prospect guru, Eric. But uh, in short, no one's going to replicate, at least on paper, what Marquez was was supposed to do of those supporting pieces. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to me. Like, you know, just to put it more broadly, you know, basically, you know, seven, um, sorry, you know, six of your options every day in your lineup. If they're all healthy, it's Freeman, it's Acuna, it's Albies, it's Swanson, it's Ozuna. And it's one of the two catchers. That's six, that's six spots in the lineup. And now with the DH, you're talking about three spots now that go to some combination of Riley, Camargo, in NCRTE, Adam Duvall, and whoever else um, that you want to include in there, but those are the main four at the moment. Um, and again, three of those four guys are platoon splits towards being better against lefties and righties. Um, I do think that if nothing else, right now, um, I think this is my opinion now as we transition. I think Ender NCRTE pretty clearly has to play against right-handed pitching in the outfield, both both for his defense and his platoon split. And then on the other side, I think Adam Duvall pretty clearly has to play against left-handed pitching in the outfield, both for his defense and his platoon split. Those, for me anyway, are pretty easy decisions, which means you have to factor in a little bit of other stuff, you know, Riley, Cabargo, et cetera, et cetera. But those are the ones that I think are pretty easy. Do you disagree with either one of those, uh, either one of those things? Again, factoring in that they have the DH as well. No, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, I will say it's an interesting wrinkle to all this. Is like you know we talk about all these platoon splits, and you know presumably all these right-handers that the Braves could be going against because that's who we kind of first see the most in starting rotations and things like that. But especially like this first month of the season, there's going to be a lot of piggybacking and oh, yeah. a lot of guys. So I'm not sure how much of like you know lefties versus righties. Like you can only do so much. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I do like, agree I, with that. I, I just think that you still have to try to set it up, but I'm with yeah, you. That, that is a fa- that is a factor, especially in the first three, four weeks. The splits aren't going to be as defined, and you might see teams almost purposely stack against it. But on the flip side, you don't have to pinch hit for the pitcher every time they go through, so you could actually be a little bit sure more aggressive. And you could you actually be a little bit more aggressive, even like the, in the fifth inning if you wanted to pull somebody and not worry about taxing your bench too much, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm with you. The early portion of this season uh, is going to be weird in a number of ways. I'm more talking about a more conventional setup where we're expecting starters to go their full length at some point in time. And I think you have to at least try to take advantage of your platoon splits a little bit. And for better or worse, a lot of these guys have 
platoon splits. And that's not the worst thing in the world, but it's just something you have to keep in mind. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, like this isn't a situation where like the Braves have only like sub 70 WRC plus guys against right-handed pitchers after Mark Akis is gone. It's just kind of like, again, he was a good hitter against righties. And yeah, he's he's just better than the other. It's not it's not that Marquez yeah. was was going to be Mike Trout like you mentioned before about Ozzy. Uh, he was no. just a better hitter against right-handed pitching than a lot of the other options. Like if you told me right now I get one at bat against a righty, um, I would rather have Marquez than Adam Duvall or Camargo or Riley or Culberson. Like I, I would rather have Marquez. Um, it's not like the gap is that big when you compare him to other guys in certain ways, but the numbers tell you that even at his relatively advanced age, the one thing that he really continued to be pretty good at is hitting right-handed pitching. So that's just kind of the reality. It's it Could he have fallen off this year too? That's, that's also in play. He's not a young man. So it's not like you can just guarantee he's going to be the same guy he's always been. But with what we know right now, we knew what his role was, what we should have been on this roster and taking him out, taking him out and replacing him with, you know, if, if it's any of the internal options, they're not great options. I mean, Culberson is the logical one, I think. Am I crazy? I mean, if they did if they did nothing else roster-wise, I would expect it to, I expect it to be Culberson that, that they carried as the 13th position player. I mean, am I crazy here? No, I don't think so. Because, um, again, like, having... The, the nice thing about Culberson is he can kind of play all over the place. So, like, he, and they he love can, can... Yeah, and, well, they, they also love him. Um, but, you know, the idea of having a guy who can play a bunch of different positions... When you're trying to play a lot of like you know weird lineup games, uh, particularly with he can, the DH, he can pitch, he can catch. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, if it, gets, if it gets to that, we got problems. But yeah. you know, like overall, like you can see him play at multiple spots, and when you have some uncertainty on like who's going to be who, who gets sick at any given moment, you know, um, a guy like having a guy like Culberson, uh, in addition to Camargo, you know, having that positional versatility on the on the roster, combined with you know some sort of not maybe not so true uh references to how you know big he comes up in big moments all the time uh when in reality just we kind of forget the ones <laughs> that where he didn't uh you know it's the, the, the that and plus the, more importantly the the players the other players do love him and like a certain level of like locker room chemistry type stuff is important rather than just bringing in a random other guy and hoping that it works out right i mean in, in short if you care whoever you carry as the 26th guy Unless it's someone outside the organization, which is a possibility, but for right now, we'll assume it's someone that they already have on their player pool, whether it's Culberson or Alonzo or Solarte or whoever. That guy is going to be your worst position player, um, with all respect to those guys. Um, so, and, uh, and I, I think it's pretty clear also that a Danny Hechevarria is not going to be st- starting with regularity unless something happens to Dansby Dan- Swanson. Um, he's on the he's on the team for a reason, and he does provide some insurance, but not a guy who you would factor in to be and playing he, a corner outfield spot, unless he hits like he did that first week. He was in the yeah, which uniform. he's not going to do. But I mean, That'd it was so fun. funny. It was fun, but not not a, not a guy that you're going to DH or play in a corner spot. Uh, I guess you can maybe play him at third if you got in a bind. But um, and that's the other thing that I neglected to kind of just drive home is that obviously I mentioned the four guys for three spots phenomenon with Riley Camargo, Ender, and Duvall one of those guys has to be either Riley or Camargo at third. So that one of them's got to play every day. One of them has to play third base every day, unless something happens to both of them and you get to get to scrambling. But that also limits you a tiny bit. And I'm assuming if I'm assuming they're going to have, they're going to lean toward Riley DHing if possible, because I don't think 
anyone would argue he's a great defensive third baseman. Um, he's the most logical DH candidate of them all in terms of profile. But at the same time, he's a, he could be he's playing a first base. Defender. Yeah, well, I yeah, know he's not. Yeah. He's not incredible. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's terrible. He's not a butcher at third base. But I think he'd be the guy they would DH out of the, out of those four options. Am I crazy? I mean, I think he's probably the worst fielder of those four guys. Maybe. I like, mean, it's, it's, Camar- Camargo like, is, I guess. I mean, Ender and Duvall are both obviously better defensively yes. than he is. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. no, I had to kind of think about it with Camargo at third, but you're, I think I think you're right. And just in terms of like having someone play the DH spot, like Riley fits the profile. And right, if we're talking about likelihood, like. That's what I mean. Snitker, I'm, yeah, Snitker looking at it, he, I mean, that's just going to be like, well, your DH is your power bat. You and know, also, like, putting, like, putting Ender as your DH is like... No, no. That, you, they should never, ever, 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 ever have Call Ender it. DH. Calling it. It's going to happen. Watch. I mean, maybe if you just... I don't even know what the justification would be. Uh, if you wanted to give his legs a break, but you wanted him to hit against a righty, you could argue, I guess, if you just thought forever. I'm trying to, I'm trying to just explain the situation to myself, really, because you're right that it'll probably happen. Um... <laughs> Maybe if he was like tired, but you're facing a righty and you don't want to have, I don't know, someone don't, who can't hit righties. Yeah, don't think about this one too hard. Yeah, it's, it's only uh, it Seems like Riley is the best is the best candidate. You are right. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you alluded to it earlier, but Riley could be playing first base opening day. That would not surprise anybody. I don't think at this moment in time. I think that's by all indications they're going to try other guys there potentially and as to what snicker said yesterday but i think if it came down to it they would probably play riley there at first base if freddie couldn't go opening day so that's also a thing to consider in this mix hopefully for not not for very long but we just don't know anything definitive if, any, if anyone has any idea if anyone tries to tell you anyway that they have a definitive timetable on freddie freeman they are they are mistaken they they do not know and, and they're like they're lying <laughs> right, they they do not know, um, and and that's not a bad. I mean, it's not. It's just the reality. There's not a definitive timetable on Freddie Freeman or anybody else that has COVID nineteen. So keep that in mind. Um, okay, I have to ask you two questions before we get away from this discussion. Number one, we'll start with the young guys. Um, people are already talking about Drew Waters and Christian Pache uh, as potential options. Uh, I, I my personal response immediately was i doubt it but a you know more than i do sometimes about this stuff and b you obviously know these players better than i do so are either of them options in reality not maybe should be but like do you see a scenario where the braves carry either of them opening day and actually use them uh i could see a scenario where they would get they'd they'd, probably require an injury slash covid like diagnosis for that to happen, I think. Um, Pache is more likely than Waters. Um, while Waters profiles a switch hitter to reply, kind of replace Markakis in in lineups is really appealing. I also I mean the combination of him not being on the forty man and being seemingly further away than Pache. Plus Pache, like at the very least, is going to be like a Gold Glove caliber defender. The, like the day he steps on the field, so there's there's that kind of that that high floor of, you know, at least he's gonna be really productive defensively being a little bit closer. I think of the two Paches more likely. Um, but I, I think that they, the problem right now is that they have a combination of utility guys and, a, and several outfielders that I don't think that making that move is necessary. If they, if they lost, if they lost another outfielder, I could see it a little bit more, especially if it was Ender, if, if Ender got hurt or something like that, 
I could see a very easy case to keep Pache for defensive purposes and just like, all right, yep. go out there every day in center field and do your thing and hit ninth. Like that wouldn't that wouldn't stun me. But and unless they lose somebody else, I would be pretty stunned if they carry either of them. Yeah, that's just I, my personal. I, I just think that, I just think that they need some more time, and I'm not really sure what the instruction instructional situation is going to be. But but if they lose any of like Ender, Ozuna, or Acuna to to whatever, you know, I mean, whether it's COVID, whether it's you know, to anything, yes, yeah, like to then, availability, then, those guys then, just not then, being on. Then play. I think then then I think Pache would come up. Uh, after that, I think is a level of projection that isn't necessarily fair because we just don't know what they're going to think about these guys internally while they're scrimmaging against each other. Does that make yes. sense? Like in terms of call-ups and things like that, like, you know, I'm, I'm no, I'm going to get tweets as soon as the season starts it, you know, when is Pache coming up? When is waters coming up? And there's no way to determine that right now because the evaluation process that is normally in place is not in place. There aren't scouts. There aren't, you know, games happening against, other team you know other opponents that aren't in your organization it's all weird right now so you know in a lot of ways you know other than just the sources that we have in the organization you know there's not a lot of good information out there that we would have for you so the short answer is i think that you know pache is the furthest along between those two but i could also see a situation where how do i put it i could also see a situation where they would just make a decision based on information that we wouldn't have and things could get really weird. Um, especially if they're kind of planning for, you know, certain eventualities down the road, et cetera, et cetera. So, <laughs> right. you know, like, it's just like, there's, there's too many weird things that can happen. And I don't want to like say one thing is for sure to happen. I will, I will say pretty clearly that I do think that of the two, I think it's more likely to be Pache, but if we get into like August and then out of nowhere, Drew Waters gets called up for some reason, then we're kind of getting to a level of, you know, weirdness to frankly, I'm not sure if I could even predict Right, and I think the in addition to the forty man consideration, which is real, the fact that Pache is already on the forty man is a big factor. Um, it's that in the glove for me. Like this, there's some safety in the glove. Like, and let I don't think that e- even if Pache didn't hit, he would be playable. Like, it may not go super well. I, I mean, you would know better than I would about the bat, but there's always a risk that guys struggle when they first come up. But because he's going to be a really good defender at a premium position there's enough value in that where you can kind of stay afloat a little bit. So if they had to do something, I agree um, on the surface, it makes more sense to go with Pache, but we'll come back to that. I just want to make sure I asked you because people were mumbling about that in my mentions and I uh, knew it was coming, but it happened. Um, The other thing is potentially they could go get someone from outside the organization. Now, most of the time, this is like a Matt Adams level move. And we mentioned Matt Adams on yesterday's podcast. He is uh, he's currently employed by the Mets, so he's not available. But someone like that, who's like a very random, you know, platoon heavy player that has some utility that might be super available, that is probably the most likely if they were to acquire someone. The other uh, one that I wanted to make sure I threw out there just for uh, for the fun of it is that um, by far the best free agent on the market has a platoon split where he really mashes right-handed pitching, and his name is Yasiel Puig. Braves fans, a lot. I'll say this: a lot of Braves fans would lose their minds uh, on, on both sides of that. <laughs> but I mean, uh, here, here's the case. I'll make other than other than what I just said, which is again, I know he's a right-handed hitter. So on the face, you might say, why would you sign a right-handed outfielder? Um, Puig's career, career, and it's a pretty darn big sample, like 2,000 plus plate appearances against right-handed pitching. He mashes righties. Um, 
So this is not a guy who you worry about a platoon split with. Um, is he overqualified for the role that he'd probably be in? Yes, he is. But he's a, he's still un, he's still unemployed in July. So obviously there are personality questions with Puig that have always followed him. But Anthopolis was there in L.A. when he was in L.A. There's probably a relationship of some sort there. And now there is a spot open. Do I think this is actually going to happen? No, I do not. I'd be pretty surprised if it did. But it is, um, I would say, due diligence in my mind to say it out loud. Because, again, he is by far the best player that is not currently on a major league team. And he would fit what the Braves actually need right now on the field. I, I I do agree with that, and like, look, I'd be happy to have Puig because I think he would make this team better. Yeah, uh, but I think the I, th- I think I think the I think the biggest issue for me is that given I I just don't think the Braves are in a spot where they're looking to sign free, like a, a relatively major free agent acquisition. It'll cost money, like you said. I think yeah, you said like, that earlier on the pod, like it's going to cost money that they are probably they probably don't want to spend. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's gonna be tough to get anyone to make like any team to take on real fu- real money at the trade deadline or anything like that. So, at I, least with I, the deadline, you're you're in the middle of the season, and presumably right. you've been going a little bit here, and maybe you have a good feel for whatever the uh, protocols are. I think it's even more unlikely that you would add money before the season starts because of the uncertainty that you. I mean. Like it or not, there is still a, a non-zero chance this does not work at all, and baseball does not happen. <laughs> I know we're getting closer. Very true. We're two and a half weeks away. I'm not trying to be a doomsday guy here, but there is a non-zero chance that they, that they don't even ever get there, especially with all the stuff about testing protocol issues today. Like, I'm not predicting that. I think there's going to be baseball happening in uh, 18 days, 17 days, whatever it is. But... I think it's even more unlikely, to your point, that any team's going to want to add substantial salary before the season even starts. Yeah, maybe, maybe that means that we see like you know the the Yasiel Puig you know signing in the middle of the season. He's gonna go, go full uh, Roger Clemens and just wait yeah. to the middle of the year. Yeah, or full Dallas Keuchel, or that too. Yeah, whatever, whatever, the, whatever your uh, yeah. example is. That's I guess that's a, that's a, that's <laughs> that's a modern a, one. That's a pretty wide range of outcomes. I'm, I'm old. Being honest, I'm an old person. Yeah. And my mind went to Roger Clemens doing that, but uh, Keuchel did it last year with the Braves. Um, yep. I, I just again, I think both of us agree this is not a likely outcome, but because there really is one starting level player that is actually available in free agency, and he happens to fit what the Braves need. I feel like I had to say it, but uh, you're right that the reaction would be swift if they did that. Um, all right, moving on. We'll end, we'll end the show here. Uh, the schedule came out earlier tonight, and uh, while there isn't all of that, and there isn't all that much in terms of surprise because we already kind of knew the outline of the schedule, there are some notes to hit on. Um, I won my bet with Scott on yesterday's show because the Braves are playing the Mets to open the season. Uh, that was uh, who I had. He had the Marlins, so I won that one. Um, that game is going to be 410 Eastern time on July 24th on the road. And then uh, after that series, the Braves uh, the Braves have a four-game split series with two in Tampa and then two back in Atlanta. That's the home opener. Um, they're also, by the way, the Braves are going to be featured quite a bit on Sunday Night Baseball. Three times in the first seven weeks, the Braves have national TV games Sunday nights. So that's interesting. Hey. Um, and uh, before I let you weigh in a little bit, the other thing about the early part of the season is that the Braves open with 20 consecutive games without a day off, which isn't crazy crazy. That's just a lot of days. They don't have, they don't have a day off until August 13th. And then hilariously, they have four off days in 15 days. So they play 20 in a row, 
and then they, then they have four off days in about two weeks, which is uh, kind of a hysterical setup. And uh, only one Monday off day the entire season. Usually off days are Mondays and Thursdays. Um, this year they're almost all on Thursdays for the Braves, which is not anything crazy. But other than schedule planning for your own viewing, there isn't that same break out your calendar stuff. But uh, so I made it, I made note of that right away. If you are someone who has to work on Monday nights, you probably aren't very thrilled with this. Yeah, and you know I think that the. 20 games to start the season. I, I haven't looked at a lot of other teams' schedules like that closely, but I think that we're going to see a lot of that in terms of like, I think that's just how the schedules were made. And I think that was on purpose. I think Large- Gabe, um, I think Gabe just to add, I want to say it was Gabe. Somebody tweeted this out, but there are seven teams in the entire league that have any stretch of 20 straight games this year without a, without, without an off day. And the Braves are one of them and it's their, it's their first 20. So it's not that common. I don't think. Well, see, like, like, let's let's just say that, like, for example, like, I understand that twenty is a lot. It's but a- like having by having like you know like one off day in the first twenty-one games or something like that would still be yeah. a lot. And I think that all I think all off days I think were at least somewhat backloaded towards the end, simply because we know what's going to happen in these first few weeks is that guys aren't like there's going to be a lot of you know a guy throws three innings and then comes out or a guy that plays in the field for five innings and then comes out because you have these expanded rosters. These are things you can do to give guys playing time and to kind of preserve them. And that as a result, the, the, the same grind that you would normally feel like, especially in like games like 80 through 100 or whatever, you know, like playing 20 straight, 20, 20 straight games, you know, 20 straight days rather could like crater you for a season. Like you'd be so wiped out that one day off is just not going to do it. But you know, in a really compressed schedule, maybe that doesn't matter as much, uh, particularly to start the season because they have those four days off in August and then think they have two more in September. You know, you would feel like, you know, over a two and a half month stretch that they would be pretty well rested. Uh, again, assuming nothing particularly weird happens with travel and, or, you know, playing time, you know, given the situation that they're in, but overall, like I, I just I knew it was. If I looked at it and I was like, "Wow, it's a lot of games to start the season." But then I started thinking about kind of practically what a team would want right now, and what we were kind of expecting playing time and how those things are going to happen. You know, and there's not there's not those those big you know East Coast to West Coast road trips. It's all on the East Coast. You know, I think it's okay. I do. Right. The and the overall schedule. There's been some talk about this. Um, the ratio of games to off day um, this season is not much different than a normal season. I know the, the schedule is compressed, but there isn't. It isn't as if there's this uh, ridiculous sprint where you're never having any off days. The ratio is about the same as it always is. It might be a, a, a day or two off, but it's not. It's nothing crazy overall. It's going to feel a little weird when they open with three straight weeks of games, um, but that's just something to keep in mind as well. It's not this crazy uh, overworked schedule compared to normal. Um, one more thing I wanted to add here, uh, Scott and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, but there is not a single weekday night game, uh, sorry, weekday afternoon game that is on, that is not on a holiday. I know Labor Day is one, for instance, but uh, we, were, we were discussing whether there will be any sort of those getaway day afternoon games on like Wednesday afternoons. There are none of them, literally none of them for the Braves. Got to get that TV money. That's what I said. So, uh, and I could see all sides of it. Maybe you, you would want some... Uh, some getaway day stuff to allow for protocols and to tra- travel, but they're apparently choosing uh, the TV revenue. Um, the TV ratings are much, much better for night games just because people are at work during the day, myself included. So um, this is good for viewing for me and a lot of others, but uh, just 
I, I also kind of like the weirdness of the occasional Wednesday afternoon, you know, 1240 start, whatever it is. There are uh, exactly zero of those. Um, the only afternoon games are either on the weekends or they are on a holiday. I think Labor Day is one. That might be the only one, actually. So something to keep in mind. Uh, no weirdness in terms of that. And uh, on the flip side, you know, Scott is famous for carrying us on uh, nights of West Coast games, and there are none. Which we knew already. But, uh, uh, I, I, I kind of miss those like Scott recaps where he's clearly salty that no one else is awake where he can complain about something. Well, yeah, it's like it's like one forty-five a.m. Eastern, and, and Scott and like maybe me are awake and nobody else is. Um, but yeah, it's uh, those are not on the schedule. So the Braves have a couple of uh, Sunday night games and a couple of like seven forties, but nothing uh, later than that. Maybe an eight oh five or something like that. But. No, 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 fifteen inning Arizona Diamondbacks games. For Scott or it's like year. 3 a.m. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's worth po- just pointing out as a follow up to yesterday. Um, back to the schedule itself, though. At the end of this season, it's fairly nice for the Braves if they uh, yeah, are in a pen- if, sure. they're, if they're in a pennant race. They close with the Orioles, which is nice. Then the Mets. Then they end with the Marlins, which is good, and the Red Sox, who are going to be pretty good, but nothing incredible, I don't think. So yeah, I mean, they did. They, they lost Mookie Betts. That's kind of a big deal. So I mean, yeah, like you know, that's <laughs> if you're if you're if you're if you're if you're losing if you're playing a Red Sox team, the one that doesn't have Mookie Betts on it's gonna be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, those four are not incredible, but anytime you face the, or- the Orioles and the Marlins in your last four series, you'll take that. Overall, uh, we knew it was gonna be ten games each against the NL East opponents, um, but because there are no five game series and uh, baseball. You know, that was at least in the discussions that that's not going to happen. So these schedules are even more unbalanced. The Braves are playing seven of their 10 games against the Marlins in Atlanta. They're playing six of their 10 games against the Nats in Atlanta. But then they have unbalanced the other way. Only only four of the 10 against the Mets are at home. And only three of the 10 against the Phillies are at home. That, that, might, that one might sting. But on the flip side, home field advantage may not be as big of a deal this year with no crowds yeah so. that, that's what i was gonna say I, I was kind of i poked into a couple conversations about this like in a world where there aren't fans in attendance and you're not really like the travel part of it isn't as big of a deal because again you're kind of staying in your same time zone and things like that i'm just not sure those home field advantages i mean it might be easier i say might it is probably easier to play at home than on the road because you're in a place where you're familiar you're at home with your family etc cetera, etc cetera. these are all good things but you know, in terms of like the normal home field advantage, where like the the home crowd is on your side and et cetera, et cetera, I just don't see that stuff as being necessarily great. Um, so I, I think I know. would guess, I would guess, and by the way, this is all going to be such a small sample size that taking anything meaningful from even sixty sure. game sample across the league is going to be perilous. I would guess though, home field advantage will still exist, but be a little bit smaller. I still think because of what you said. Teams would rather play at home. There probably is a small edge to playing at home, but probably even a smaller one than normal. Um, that's my guess, uneducated as it might be. But regardless, that's the layout of the um, of the NL East opponents. Um, against the AL East, they play the Red Sox the most at six, six games. They play four games each against the Rays and the Yankees, who are the uh, projected top two in the division. And then only three against the Orioles and the Blue Jays, and that's unfortunate because the Orioles are terrible, and the Jays might be all right, but uh, the Orioles especially, you, you want to play the Orioles as much as possible, and they are playing them uh, as the least as possible. So that's the one thing in the schedule that you, that you don't love. But on the bright side, it's at the end of the season. So if you're battling for something, hopefully you can tee off on the, on the Orioles. 
Well, yeah, and you know, the, the it's literally a difference of one series. You know what I mean? Like it's like you would but, you would hey. preferred your you would have preferred your six. Look, every game matters. I understand what the joke you know, is, but especially <laughs> in sixty game seasons. Yeah, absolutely. So like you know, you would have preferred to have six against the Orioles and then three against like you know the Sox and Jays, and but you know playing only four against the the Rays and Yankees there's like that's a that's a positive too. You yeah. know, it could have it could this is not the worst it could have been in terms of that AL East uh, slate of games and. You know, it's I, – I just look at the schedule and, I like, I, I've looked at it multiple times and I'm like, okay, let me look at the rest of it. Oh, no, that's it. That's, that's all it. of it. And um. then, I, then I start thinking about, like, how scary it is. Like, you know, like, oh, well, I'm glad that we're not playing that many games in Miami because I don't want to send our guys into Florida. But then I'm like, oh, wait, we're going into New York. We're going into Philly. We're go-, You know, and then the, just the – the more real it's becoming, the more crazy it seems to me that baseball is actually happening. Not and they're, tra- I don't and they're I- traveling and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah it's going to be interesting. Yeah, all that stuff, it, it it makes it real in some ways that are less pleasant. Don't get me wrong. There, you will find very few people that want baseball to happen more than me. But I also worry about their health. I also worry about kind of where we are as like as a country in terms of having big sporting events and the surrounding activities that you know whether it be you know just you know people hanging out at bars going you know spending in big groups of people like you worry about all that stuff now because we're kind of in a really strange spot and i i just worry about those things and i hope that everyone is safe and i hope this all works and that we look back on it and go wow we worried about nothing uh i don't want to look back upon this and going wow what a colossal mistake this was just because they wanted they someone some people desperately wanted to be entertained so um, i am hopeful but it's you know it's kind of a wild thing for sure. Um, and as a final note, um, if there was a 10 game, a 10 day stretch, I should say that's potentially the most pivotal of the whole season. And this is, this is a guess, but the Braves play the Nats seven times between September 4th and September 13th. So right before that closing stretch of four series, um, that could be very interesting. If you believe the Nats are, and you know, we'll get into a sort of a full NL East preview when we get a little bit closer to the start of the season, in a couple of weeks. Um, but if you believe the Nats are the chief competition for the Braves, which I know some people do, uh, that could be one to circle in a big way. Absolutely. All right, Eric. Well, uh, we could go through the entire schedule, but we probably will stop short of doing that today because, uh, again, we knew most we knew exactly who they were going to play for the, for the most part. The uh, mystery yep. is not really in there. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's get out of here. Uh, any final thoughts? Please share them. But if not, please plug you, plug anything you got going on. I know we are uh, still slowly but surely churning out content at Talking Chop. Again, I'll say before you uh, weigh in that uh, the podcast yesterday is still relevant. So download it, please, if nothing else. I don't want to waste that whole hour of discussion because it was still uh, pretty fun, in my opinion, despite the dire circumstances to talk baseball for most of it. But uh, uh, anyway, go ahead, Eric. Uh, so the minor league crew, what we are going to be planning on doing over the, up until the season starts, we're going to be trying to put profiles out on all of the guys who maybe aren't going to be active rosters, like kind of the extended roster guys. Uh, I hate to call them taxi squad because that, you know, like Chris correctly pointed out to me that, you know, taxi squad is like those three guys that they, they carry with yep. them on the road. But, you know, that extended, ro- those extended roster guys, they either, you know, aren't on the 40 man or aren't going to be in the major pool. leagues. Yeah. The, the, the pool of people. Uh, they, you, that you are not going to see with any amount of regularity, we think in, in Atlanta. And so we're going to be doing profiles on those guys, just kind of little, Hey, these are, remember who these guys are. And that's going to range from prospects that you probably haven't heard of before to names that 
you kind of wish you could forget. Um, you know, kind of a, a wide range of types of players. We're going to be doing profiles on those guys. Uh, we're also going to be doing some like redraft types type uh, content, kind of looking back at previous draft classes. We're looking at uh, some like prospect retro retrospectives. Uh, we already had one go up. Uh, I'm a little surprised that Brad hasn't, uh, maybe Brad hasn't seen it, uh, but uh, Jason Hayward uh, as a prospect was uh, reflected upon. I saw upon. The, uh, <laughs> was... the timing was probably not great on that one. I got to be honest with you. It went, <laughs> it, went, it went up like an hour after the Morhegas news, and then people were like, wait, are you rickrolling us? Uh, no, I saw, I saw no. one of the responses. I was like, oh, this was just scheduled ahead of time, I promise. Yeah, yeah it was, and it was pretty funny. But um, uh, So it's uh, – we're going to be doing a lot of like, like le- leveraging and looking back into the past as well uh, while we're kind of trying to figure out exactly what the content schedule should be at uh, Talking Chop. And I know there's a lot of other things in the works, but in terms of like you're looking for what's going on on the minor league side, that's where we're starting. We're still trying to figure out exactly how we're going to like do things like, you know, like updating prospect rankings and like trying to find new information about prospects and things like that. Like that's, it's, it's all going to be very tough information to come by, but we're going to you know do our absolute best for you. Yeah, please uh, just keep checking out the site at talkychop.com. That's the best place to find all of uh, everything, as well as subscribing to this podcast channel, where you'll get this show and any Road to Atlanta podcast that exists. Um, same sort of thing there. It's a challenge for these guys to talk about prospects right now, but I, uh, you know, we'll still we'll still be here. The best the best thing you could possibly do is to subscribe to the show, leave five star feedback, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Follow Eric on Twitter at Leprechaun. Follow me if you'd like to at BT Roland. Maybe even follow Scott if you feel so led to do that. To do that, I don't know why you ever would, but at Scott Colin fifty five is uh, his Twitter handle. And uh, yeah, there we go. Eric, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Sort of a somber edition in some ways, but uh, hopefully we'll uh, have more to- more to talk about in the next couple weeks. And uh, if all goes according to the plan, we'll have some you know more general preview content in the next couple of uh, podcasts. So stay tuned for all of that. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.